You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. I'm Phil, and today I am super excited to have Father Albert Hass return to the podcast once again. Father Albert is a great friend of Rua Space who has been on the podcast a number of times. I know from many listeners that his episodes are some of your absolute favorites, and so I am just really honored that he has come back to discuss one of his newest books, Soul Training with the Peace Prayer of St. Francis. Now, we do not cover the whole book in this episode, per normal, right? Um, But we really start to get into the first few chapters talking about this peace prayer, about soul training, and about detachment, which really stood out to me as I was reading this book. Now, before we dive into that episode, I do want to share with you a couple things that we have going on here at Rua Space. First, if you did not know, we have a Patreon page, which is a space where for just $5 a month, you can help support everything that we have going on here at Rua Space and gain access to some really amazing content. We do monthly live guided prayer practices, and we have a number of really great series around prayer, meditation, Psalm 23, Revelation, and most recently we've been going through a self-reflection series based in James chapter 1. So some really awesome series there, and you can find the link to that Patreon page in the description below. And then friends, we also have our Christian Yoga YouTube and membership pages. This is a space to fully integrate body, mind, and spirit connecting to God, the present moment, even to others. This is a listening practice where we not only feel better, but for me, it's really deepened my relationship with God. And so you can check out those free classes on our YouTube page, or if you'd like to go deeper in your practice, you can check out our memberships, where for essentially the price of one or two yoga classes per month, you gain access to our whole library. And one of the really unique aspects of the membership is that we love making classes that people request from us. So if you find something that you like in there and you want to see more of it, we'll make it for you. If there's a specific style or length, or maybe you're going through something and you'd like a class about that, we constantly make classes that our members request. And so if that's something that would be helpful to you, you can also find the link to that in the description below. But friends, with all of that said, we are so glad that you are here today for this episode. I pray that my conversation with Father Albert Haas is a challenge, a blessing, and an and encouragement. Father Albert Hass, welcome back to the Rua Space Podcast. It's, it's good to be back, Phil. Good to be back. You know, we talk behind the scenes quite a bit, but our listeners haven't heard from you in probably a year or so now. Yeah, but I and, bet you have been yet. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, when I speak to people that I know listen to the podcast, do you know who they bring up the most? Who? Yeah, of course, you. <laughs> when is Father Albert coming back? I loved his book. So I thought it is, it is time. So you had your soul training with the peace prayer of St. Francis book release. I hear now it's being translated into other languages. Yeah, so, so it's, gonna, it's, been, it's been picked up uh, by a publisher in Hong Kong. And so they're going to translate it into Chinese. So I'm kind of excited about that. I'm also excited by the fact, Phil. Uh, let me just do a little bragging, if I may. Let's do it. Um, 
This book, uh, Soul Training with the Peace Prayer of St. Francis, received the second place award in the category of books on prayer by the American Catholic Media Association. Now, that might not mean nothing to you, but the Catholic, the American Catholic Media Association, those awards are like the American Catholic version of the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> so awesome. I'm really, I'm really kind of excited that the book um, that the book got the award kind of surprised me. Took me by it really did take, took me by surprise. Well, well, congrats! That's awesome. I, I I mean they were they made the mistake they were off by one, but that's okay. You know, it's, <laughs> listen, I'm, we are I'm, people I'm, of grace. <laughs> I'm content to be second place. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, so what sort of led you, you know, we're going to spend a little time with the beginning of the book. Um, my hope then is that sort of uh, whets people's appetite to go read the whole thing. Of course, now they already know other people have already said it's great. So that's, that's amazing. But just tell us a little bit, you know, for people who are Protestant, um, many of them have probably actually heard the peace prayer, even though it's a, a prayer from St. Francis, it's quite famous. Why did you decide, hey, this is worth a whole book to sort of dig into this? Oh, first of all, simply because I wanted to debunk the idea that St. Francis wrote the prayer. He did not. And that's why in the book, in the appendix of the book, I kind of trace the history of how this prayer, which is actually first published in December of 1915, how this prayer got associated with St. Francis. And I think part of the reason is because when people read that prayer, um, people kind of think uh, that these virtues and this call to selflessness that the prayer really kind of challenged us to, to service and selflessness, uh, it really kind of captures the spirit of St. Francis of Assisi. And you know, in the introduction to the book, I just highlight the number of people who have quoted the uh, Peace Prayer of St. Francis or who have used the Peace Prayer of St. Francis. That was astonishing, yeah. It was just, and the way it's been put to music. So there's something about this prayer that really has captured the, um, the imagination of everyone. Yeah, no doubt. So to begin getting into the prayer, Brother Angelo had yeah. saying about how he loved the physics of the peace prayer, which immediately jumps out to me because I used to uh, be in physics. That had been my college major originally. Love science. I'm like, okay, awesome. This is great. The physics of the peace prayer. Yeah, so, so Brother Angelo was a, is about 20 years uh, younger than me. And I was given a week-long retreat to his community. And one day we got talking about the peace prayer. And he said, you know, he says, I pray the peace prayer of St. Francis every single day. Now you need to know that Brother Angelo has a master's degree in physics. And so I said, well, what, why, why do you like the peace prayer so much? And he said, it's because of the physics of the peace prayer. And he told me how, if you take a rock, and you tie that rock with a piece of string and you start whirling it around your head, he said how there is a force in physics called the centripetal force where that rock will always want to gravitate towards the center. 
And he says, so when you look at the peace prayer and you see that second stanza, you really see how we're challenged to move beyond ourselves. Our natural sinful inclination is always to say, it's all about me. It's all about my desires. It's all about me being satisfied. And he said, and Brother Angelo said, well, the, the centripetal force of the peace prayer, as you see it in the second stanza, really challenges us that it's not about me being consoled or loved or being understood. It's about me being a person who consoles, who loves, who tries to understand. So he says that second stanza goes against that centripetal force that wants to move the rock towards the center. Then he said the first stanza of the peace prayer really shows us how we need to look beyond ourselves and live lives of service. And so where there's injury, we need to bring pardon. Where there's doubt, we need to bring faith. Where there's despair, we know to, we know to bring hope. Where there's sadness, we need to bring joy. And he says, that's really in, in physics, as you whirl that rock around your head, what happens is that rock wants to move away from the center. And that's called the centrifugal force. And so he says these two forces, the centripetal and the centrifugal, they're like tongue twisters. He says they really do capture the two sections of the peace prayer while the first section challenges me to move beyond myself, to live a life of service. And the second stanza really challenges me to live a life of, of selflessness. And so service leads to selflessness and selflessness leads to service. And he says, that's the physics of the peace prayer, Brother Angelo told me. And he says, that's why I love it so much. Yeah, that, those images are so helpful. And for those of you who may say, wait a minute, I don't actually know the peace prayer, those lines you began quoting would probably give uh, a little bit of hint into it, right? Well, yeah, well, you, let me just, if, if it's okay, let let's me just read it. Read, yeah. Let's just pray the prayer together right now. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Mm. I know, I know a, a Muslim couple, they pray the peace prayer every night before they have their dinner. I mean, this, this is what just, it just fascinates me, the, the, the grip that it has on the history of Christian spirituality. Absolutely. And, you know, as you were praying it, and as you were talking about the centripetal versus the centrifugal, you know, we often think of prayer as things we are just saying to God, as if God needs to hear these words. And of course, we do need to share things with God, right? And we can ask for things, that type of thing. But I think what you're really getting at here 
is that prayer is also to a very significant degree for us. We are basically praying the prayer to God in a sense, asking not that God necessarily do something other than God doing those things in us. So the prayer is meant to shape us ultimately, even if it's God sort of orchestrating that change. Well, you know, and that, that's really the great, the great wisdom of the very first word of the peace prayer, of the first stanza, and the first words of the second stanza. Because right away, right out of the gate, we, we say, Lord, divine master. And so right away, that's a reminder to all of us that there is someone greater in my life that I am simply the servant of the Lord and divine master. And what this prayer is all about, it's asking God to transform me into his instrument. To quote, to quote from the, uh, the expression of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa used to always say that she was simply a pencil in God's hands and God did the writing. And sometimes it was challenging because the pencil needs to be sharpened. And so that can be sometimes difficult. And so in the peace prayer, we actually are praying to be this instrument for God, to be this, to be God's pencil that he can write his love letter to the world through the way I live my life. Yeah, and, and that reminds me, you know, we did that series on the Lord's Prayer together, yeah. the at-home retreat, and it reminds me a little bit of the opening line even of that, our Father in heaven, holy be your name, that this isn't just a declaration, but this is a dangerous request for God's for God to make God's name holy in and through me. me. And so I think that's where the soul training part is coming in, that this prayer is an invitation asking God, giving our consent for God to really do these things in us. And one of the early ideas that you talk about with this prayer as sort of, um, I think you call it shifting your center, right? So that the shifting center is center of gravity. Yeah. yeah. And you talk about detachment. And I got really excited because, um, you know, in, in like a Buddhist tradition, for example, when people think detachment they think oh buddhism that's not that's not something christians think about detachment but you really go into the importance of it and one of the lines that stood out to me was detachment discloses the delusions of the desperate and that just stuck with me and it's actually central to our walking with jesus and becoming well, more like him well let me tell you something what most interestingly enough the 14th century uh, Dominican mystic, Meister Eckhart. Eckhart says that detachment is the goal in the spiritual life because <laughs> most, of us, most of us hang on to stuff. And when you think about the wisdom of Jesus, and if you just take a look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. And basically, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to challenge us to break free, to be detached of the very things that we think are going to make us happy. And so he says, if for those of us who think that possessions are going to make us happy, Jesus says, oh, no, blessed are the poor. And, and that word blessed, the Greek makarius, can also be translated as 
or how happy you would be. So, and for people, for instance, who hunger for power and authority, Jesus says, oh no, how happy you will be if you are meek. And then he says, for those of us who are always trying to feel good and we want every day to be upbeat, Jesus says, oh no, oh, how happy you would be if when they persecute you. So, so the wisdom of the Beatitudes and the wisdom of the entire Sermon on the Mount, if you want to boil it all down, it's Jesus's way of saying things are not what they seem to be. That we always I over identify ourselves with all these external trinkets, things like power, prestige, possessions, productivity, popularity, praise. And, and we think that we need them in order to be happy. And basically what Jesus does in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount is he's trying to rewire our thinking so that we can come to see these, anything outside of myself will not make me happy. And that's what detachment is all about. Learning to live life and to go through life without kicking up any kind of dust. That I'm free. I'm free. And that's what detachment is all about. I believe it was St. Paul who said, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And that's what detachment is about. And so for those of listeners of yours who might think that detachment is something from Buddhism, it comes right out of the teachings of Jesus. It's about being free and learning not to lean on stuff outside myself. And of course, that's a challenge because all of us, all of us do lean on stuff outside of ourselves. Well, that's, I mean, that's also Jesus where your treasure is there, your heart will be right. And exactly. I mean, I think this is at the center of, and this, this is obviously a very large topic, but I, mean, I think this is at one of the central components of why God hates idolatry. Um, yes, God doesn't want us worshiping another being or thing, but I also think there's the very practical side of it is an idol is anything that we place our hopes and dreams and desires on. And I think the issue is God knows nothing other than God can handle the weight of our hopes and happiness and desires and dreams, they all crumble. And then well, we get no. hurt. We're just in their ashes. And I think we've all experienced that on a practical level. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, let me let me phrase it in another way that you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the language that Richard Rohr sometimes uses, which he talks about the two halves of life. But you know, in, in our first in, in our opening, in, in the first half of our lives, we spend our lives climbing the ladder of success. We try to get some notoriety in our careers. We build a family, you know, uh, and we, we, we get possessions. And then there's this wonderful thing, this grace that God gives us called the grace of the midlife crisis <laughs> or the midlife transition. I read about that insult training with the Peace Prayer of St. Francis. And it's that at midlife, I suddenly discover that my ladder is against the wrong wall. And it's usually at midlife when people begin to get serious about the spiritual journey. They get serious and they begin to go within because it's at midlife we suddenly discover that things like power, prestige, possessions, uh, people, 
uh, praise, that doesn't satisfy the restlessness of the human heart. And this is, this is why midlife is such a grace, because we then begin to realize that this hole in my heart can only be satisfied by the living God. And that's why people tend to get a little bit of religion around the age 40. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think that's the related to the shifting the center, the centripetal versus the centrifugal, that when we begin to realize, hey, me just drawing into myself and the, the external things that I grip to sort of try and make myself happy is not it. It's becoming that pencil, as, as St. Teresa put it, to go out of myself seems to be maybe one of the ways we can begin to detach because I would think people would at this point be asking, okay, well, okay, I agree with you on a theoretical level. How, how do I actually begin to shift my center away from these attachments that aren't going to serve me? Oh, and I, well, I think there's a, there's a, first of all, it's not going to happen by osmosis. You have to be willing to practice it. And I think that's the wisdom. That's the wisdom of the second stanza of the peace prayer. How do I, how do I detach practically? By realizing that the most important thing is to console those who are suffering and not to be obsessed with me being consoled. It's all about me trying to understand others and not defending myself, trying to make myself understood. And then it's all about Jesus's great command to love rather than be loved. And I think those three practical ways of consoling, understanding, and loving, those are three practical ways that I can learn to detach. And then the peace prayer continues in that second verse by reminding myself, it is in giving that I receive. It is in pardoning that I am pardoned. And it is in dying to myself that I am born to eternal life. And, and so really, that second stanza gives us a practical vision of how to train the soul so that I can detach from the selfishness in my life and begin to live a selfless life. And what I love about all of this is that God doesn't just ask us to do something that God hasn't done. Jesus Amen. is consistently the one who shows let me show you on an even larger, deeper scale what this looks like, that you may model it. And the fancy theological word for this is kenosis. Right. And that comes right out of the letter to the Philippians chapter two. Scholars think that, that Paul is actually quoting an ancient baptismal hymn. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not hold on to equality with God as something to be held on to. Rather, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. And that verb, empty himself, is that idea of kenosis. And I think, and I think this is where, on, on a practical way, this is where being a parent 
can be a wonderful way of dying to myself because <laughs> parents know how the challenge of sometimes I have to forget myself and pour my life into the life of my children. And that's why being a parent is a practical form, not only of being detached from myself, but it becomes a practical form of how I can grow in holiness and sanctity. Yeah. It's the, the self-emptying. And one of the words you put to it was uh, clearing interior space, which again, just spoke to, to us here at Rua Space because it is space for the spirit, space for breath. It is all about that making the space. And I love that you highlighted that this self-emptying, this cleaning the interior space, it doesn't come from self-hatred or punishment or disgust with ourselves or contempt because I feel sometimes like when we when we are talking about things like detachment or the need to love others it can very quickly turn itself inside out and become because I am not worthy because I am not good because I need to hate all those things and I think that's actually pushing it in an un it's like if 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 the, the self-centeredness is one end of the spectrum, the self-hatred is the other end of the same spectrum and neither are helpful. Right, exactly. And, and, and just to pick up on that idea that it's not about self-hatred, always remember the reason why I wanna empty myself, the reason why I wanna die to myself and the peace prayer gives it to us. And that is because I wanna be an instrument of God's peace. And if I'm going to be an instrument used by God, or again, to quote Mother Teresa of Calcutta, if I'm going to be God's pencil, then I have to be willing to allow God to sharpen me. And the only way that happens is by learning, by learning and deliberately trying to detach from all the things in my life that kind of skew my vision or that, that make me forget my call to be God's instrument, that God is the Lord and divine master, and my life has to always be in service of God. Yeah, and we become more of ourselves then. And that's what I love about this is in, in detaching and letting go. I, mean, I think this is Jesus teaching, hey, if you try to hold on to your life, you lose it. But if you let it go for my sake, you gain it. You're actually entering into a deeper sense of your truest self. And you said, you know, I've learned over the past 25 years that life gets more and more exciting, the more and more I let go and surrender. That's really the secret to living life to the full. I used to live with the illusion that I was in charge. Yeah, that one I still keep trying to sort of every day. I keep forgetting and God keep, keeps reminding me. But you said, and, and, and I think this is a really powerful line. Thankfully, somewhere along the line, God saved me from myself. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, I don't think I don't think when we're in our 20s and our 30s, I don't think we see the wisdom of that. But at midlife, when we have when we have tried all our desperate ways to make ourselves happy and none of them have worked at midlife, when we come to see that the ladder of success we've been climbing is against the wrong wall at midlife, when we come to begin that interior spiritual journey, that's when it all comes together. 
Mm. That's why I always tell people, you never want to go to a spiritual director who has not gone through the midlife crisis. <laughs> because really, before midlife, it's just knowledge in the head. But all of that knowledge in my head all of a sudden becomes incarnated in my life at the midlife crisis and transition. Hey, you're losing me spiritual direction clients here, Father. I'm, <laughs> I'm still in my 30s. So I, you know. Well, but, you, but let me also, as I mentioned in the book, though, the, I don't, as I mentioned in the book, it can also happen to people in their 20s. I mean, this is exactly what happened to Francis of Assisi, as I write in the book, that even he died at his midlife crisis because he's dead at 44. Mm. But in his 20s, he was obsessed with becoming a knight. And so he kept mm. going to battle, kept going to battle. And then one night in the town of Sp Spoleto, he has a dream in which God says, Francis, who is it better to serve, the master or the servant? And Francis says, well, the master, of course. And then God says to Francis, then why are you serving the servant? meaning serving yourself. And so I think sometimes people in their late 20s, 30s, they can be struck by God's grace and their eyes can be open. So for some people, it happens in their 20s and 30s. I'm thinking of John of the Cross. Mm -hmm. John of the Cross was 27 years old when Teresa of Avila asked him to be her spiritual director. Wow. He's a 27-year-old kid. But the fact that she asked him says to me, he must have possessed a special grace of wisdom from God. Mm. So God, so that the midlife, for most of us, it's at midlife, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. Yeah. And I think that that's part of wisdom, right? We can yeah. learn from others whose ladder has had to be moved before ours, before we hit that point, we can sort of go down that journey maybe a little sooner and I think that is the soul training, right? It's that yeah, intentionality, exactly. that consent, that connection to God. And of course, this prayer is one such way to sort of invite that formation, to bring it to mind. And you know, so that's, of course, why I would encourage people to read your whole book, because we only be, began to sort of get into this prayer and, and where it's going. But, you know, I was just really struck by so many of the ideas in those, in those first couple stanzas. Um, so, so what might you encourage people, whether they're in their 20s or whether they're in their 60s for soul training, what might be a next step, right? Because as you pointed out with Abraham, I think it was, um, you said, you know, we train our souls in steps and stages. It's not always overnight. So what are maybe some of those next steps and stages? Of course, it depends on where someone is in the journey, but how do we sort of move forward before that crisis hits maybe? Well, you know, one great little, one practical way is, and it's going to sound a little bit goofy, but one practical way is every day do one random act of kindness. And the reason why I say that is because a random act of kindness challenges me to forget myself. And that's really the beginning of soul training learning to die to myself, to move beyond my ego, and to focus my attention on someone else. That's a practical way of getting started. I love that. That's the action and contemplation part, right? The prayer yeah. is something we say, but it's also something we do that all of right. that sort of works together. 
Well, Father Albert, where can people go to connect more with everything that you are up to with all that you've done? I know you have, I think, 735 books or something like that, but <laughs> where can people go to find uh, all you're they, doing? They can, to, they can go to my website, which is albertosm.org. So it's A-L-B-E-R-T-O-S-M.org. And there they, they can see the 13 books that I've written, the DVDs that are available, both to purchase from Paraclete Press and also to stream online. And if they visit my calendar, they can see my upcoming uh, speaking engagements. Love it. Well, we will have links to all of that in the description below. Father Albert, it is always a joy and honor. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast again. I know that there will be many happy listeners to have heard your voice back here again. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, Phil. And I hope God blesses all of your listeners. Amen. Amen.